Considering a transition to private pay? Thrizer can help you transform out-of-network therapy to look and feel like an in-network experience for your clients. Your clients just pay co-insurance for sessions instead of waiting weeks for reimbursement. Thrizer covers the rest of your fees so you get paid in full up front. Check out our special link, join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thrizer. Is your mental health practice buried in the bottom of Google search results? There's a way out. Simplified SEO Consulting offers a roadmap to search engine success. As mental health professionals, they know how to help therapists attract ideal clients and build a thriving practice. Go to simplifiedseoconsulting.com forward slash modern therapist to learn more and unlock your SEO potential this summer. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy, and this is the podcast that deals with all things therapists, the things that we do, the things that we don't do, the things that we make up that other people think about us and how to <laughs> deal with those kinds of things. And today we are joined by the world's foremost expert on imposter syndrome, who is going to teach us about everything. Uh, it's just kind of our fun way of leading into imposter syndrome jokes. Uh, so up to you to believe this or not. Patrick Saul, he's one of our Therapy Reimagined 2021 speakers. He's an LCMHC and an LCAS and here to talk to us about imposter syndrome. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Kurt and Katie, thanks for having me. And that just made me have even more imposter syndrome. So thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure, no pressure at all. And what we do is then we also add the, the wonderful task of answering this question right when you come on. Who are you and what are you putting out into the world? Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? <laughs> <laughs> what gives you the right? <laughs> I'm a big office fan, Kurt, so we can get along now. <laughs> so I live in Asheville, North Carolina, and own a group practice here in town. And I also own a private practice coaching and building business that helps therapists take the leap from agency jobs and start their own businesses. That is such a needed service because I think... As most of our listeners know, I was in community mental health for a very long time. And when I ejected from that system, I definitely would have wanted your support, Patrick. So one of the questions that I that we ask everyone is, what do you think therapists often get wrong? And I'm going to put that more specifically to when they're moving from an agency job to private practice, what do you think they typically get wrong? That is such a good question. There's so much to answer to that question, too. <laughs> I'll tell you some of the things that I typically see that is pretty consistent. The lack of belief that they can be successful, that nobody is going to pay them for their services, mm -hmm. that nobody makes it on their own, that they have to take insurance to get clients. And a lot of therapists just obviously don't understand business, right? Because they never had formal business training or marketing training. And that is really problematic when starting a business. 
we have started this episode here talking, joking about some imposter syndrome. This is something that a lot of people do struggle with and at various points in their career and at various points of success in what they're doing. How did you become interested in imposter syndrome in this whole process? Because part of what you're describing is you know, people facing some of these realities of having a lot of credentials, having a lot of experience that would say, you know, the only difference is that you're coming to see me in an office that I pay the rent for rather than in somebody else's office that they're paying the rent for. So how did you first become interested in this process? I've just recognized that feeling really all of my life, but more so when it comes to growth and business development or betting on myself, so to speak. So when I started my practice, you're right, Kurt, like all the training, all the supervision, all the agency experience, but because it's my business, this is really scary. And I clearly am not competent enough to be successful at it, which was always the mentality And, you know, I would notice that feeling a lot when maybe a client interaction didn't go well and they terminated and you would ask yourself, I'm, I I clearly am not a competent therapist or business owner. I cannot be successful at this. I don't know what I'm doing. And I just felt that so intensely, so often and just recognizing what was happening, this entrepreneurial, like insecurity in terms of who am I? How am I actually able to be hired to provide a service when I don't even think that I'm good at it? And that would happen just so often. And I would process that with my own therapist. And that definitely helped, but you know, it doesn't, it doesn't make it go away. Uh, I started talking about imposter syndrome publicly this summer over COVID. I was just kind of bored and in my house all the time. <laughs> and I would go on Facebook lives and just talk about the imposter syndrome phenomenon and and how we can have all of the training and expertise and credentials in the world, but we are the ones who believe that we are not sufficient enough or competent enough or skilled enough to be successful. And a lot of times that feels like, why me? I, I just lucked into this. And I noticed myself having imposter syndrome talking about imposter syndrome (laughs) and it would be a Facebook live that nobody was even watching, but I'm like, but somebody is going to know and find out that I am a fraud and they're going to call me on it. And that turned into doing webinars and presentations on it. And of course, the first one that I did, I forgot to hit record for an hour. And afterwards, everyone was like, this was so great. I can't wait to watch this over and over and over again. Oh, you can't (laughs) because I didn't record it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, that's awful. That's awful. Uh, I I think it's, it's refreshing to have someone talk about it so authentically. And I think there's more of an effort of folks being authentic and, and claiming some of these challenges, but the way that you were just talking about it, like I felt it in my heart and it's clear that it's something that you've definitely been working on and grappling with Maybe we can talk about your story or or how you see how imposter syndrome gets in the way for therapists, but it seems like many therapists are resonating with this imposter syndrome idea and having this notion, like, why me? I lucked into it. Why would people hire me? Like all of these things that you were saying, it seems like a lot of us 
resonate with that. Where do you think that comes from and how do you think that gets in the way for therapists? I think it gets in the way by preventing people from pursuing the things that they really want to do, the things that they really care about. It gets in the way and prevents people from taking risks because it's easier to stay in your box and not grow. And it's less scary to do that, even if that means working at an agency job that for all intents and purposes, like is just brutal and wearing you down, but you know, you're going to get a paycheck every other Friday and you know what to expect. So it's really scary. And I really do believe that imposter syndrome comes from an attachment focused perspective where we're given mixed messages as kids. When we grow up and our parents tell us, Oh, you've got an A in class. You're so smart. And then you get a D and it's like, what the hell is wrong with you? You're, you're stupid or you're not trying. And I think those mixed messages are really negatively impactful and impact our self-esteem and our confidence. And it makes us second guess ourselves in our capabilities and our, our abilities in general. And I think it comes up for people when they're trying something new, when they're trying to grow, especially in business development, or when they're trying to maybe level up and be, they feel like maybe they're not as competent as their peers or their colleagues, and that they feel like they don't have enough training. I hear that a lot. I don't have enough training to be in private practice. Why would somebody hire me if somebody else offers EMDR therapy and I don't? Like, those are the things that I feel like really hold us back from pursuing the things that really allow us to do fantastic work in these types of fields. So what's the answer for a lot of people facing these issues? What do you suggest that people work on so that way they can regain their confidence back. You know, we can't go back and fix what our parents said to us or any of those mixed messages that we've had in the past. What do you suggest to people to feel the confidence to get past some of these lingering doubts? Such a good question. And I don't think there's one specific answer, but I have several. I think embracing that fear and stepping into it, talking about it, putting it out to the world is really powerful because it, it takes some of the power away from the, the stuff that feels really frightening and overwhelming. So you need to have a good support system to put this out there with. And when I talk about this stuff, some people will message me and say, why are you being so vulnerable or so authentic? This is like taboo essentially. And I'm like, I don't believe that. I think that if we talk about it, then it's not as frightening. It makes it less intimidating because it's normalized by other people who are like, oh yeah, I experienced the same exact thing. So then it's like, well, very clearly it just can't be me, even though I'm feeling it so intensely. But I think a good strategy is to allow yourself to make mistakes and to tell yourself that you're going to fail or you're going to have a hard time when trying something new. When we learn to ride a bike, we probably fall off a bunch of times before we learn how to ride. And we need to do the same thing in terms of creating growth, leaving your agency job, starting your private practice, starting your group practice, because you're going to make mistakes and that's okay. I think 
a big symptom of imposter syndrome is perfectionism and trying to do everything perfect all the time because it's like, I can't put this out to the world because it's not perfect. People are going to judge me. They're going to know that I'm fraudulent. And I think that we have to remind ourselves very often that asking for help is okay. One strategy I really love is making it playful, giving imposter syndrome a funny voice or a funny name of someone maybe that you don't respect that much or you laugh at. (laughs) And (laughs) I did a presentation and a friend brought up like, oh, so like Harry Potter and Bogarts, like, and I thought, I hate Harry Potter. What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) But she was alluding to the fears that all of the main characters had. And when they made them playful, when they put like roller skates on a snake or like made something have a really funny voice, you take the power back. It's not as intimidating. Yeah, I think that's an interesting concept. And to me, this idea of giving imposter syndrome a funny voice or or having it be playful, I think that's I mean, it's kind of the the old phrase, like if you're nervous in public speaking, imagine everybody naked or, you know, whatever, like, you know, kind of do the thing where all of a sudden it becomes ridiculous. And I hear that. I also recognize that there are things that are hard to make playful that, that can lead to imposter syndrome. There's a lot of stuff that are very real systemic issues that can be part of different clinicians' experiences and and why they may have imposter syndrome. And we don't have to go too far down the road if you don't want to, but it just feels like, you know, there's imposter syndrome for white folks. And then there's also imposter syndrome for BIPOC individuals and other folks with marginalized identities where they are consistently told that they are imposters or that they're failures or that kind of stuff or, or treated and, you know, kind of had that kind of experience of being, ignored or invisible or undercut in some way. And so what do you think about that question about how folks with different identities interact around imposter syndrome? It's a great, great, great statement and needs to be made. You know, colonialism definitely shapes that word, right? Because there's not a lot of research on imposter syndrome. The one, one of the main studies you can find was done in the 70s. It was all about women in the workplace, but especially women of color in the workplace, not feeling like they belonged or fit in. But that's because they were told all their lives that they didn't. Yeah. And they had to work so much harder to get there. And obviously, as a, a white male with a lot of privilege, I don't experience those things on a day-to-day basis. But we have to be aware of the fact that that term does not mean the same thing for everybody. So for BIPOC folks and people of color in general, like who have to fight a million times harder to get to the same place and are told constantly that they're inadequate or not worthy or not as good, it takes on a whole different meaning. And I almost hate to use the word imposter syndrome when we're talking like this in that way it's actually created some internal conflict in terms of how do I want to shape what I'm going to talk about in September? Yeah. Because it's really important to honor that and to acknowledge the fact that if we berate and abuse and make people feel less than, of course they never feel like they 
they made it or they fit in or they belong or they're as competent, if not more competent. If you've been considering switching to private pay and are unsure how to attract and retain clients, Thrizer can be your best resource. How? Thrizer actually helps you transform out-of-network therapy to look and feel like an in-network experience for clients with out-of-network benefits. First, Thrizer can help clients instantly verify their out-of-network benefits, providing them complete transparency on the cost of therapy ahead of their first session. Then, just by charging your clients via Thrizer's payment platform, you can automatically submit claims for them, offload all the insurance stress onto Thrizer, and even let your clients just pay their co-insurance for sessions, similar to in-network co-pays, to help them afford therapy upfront and skip the long reimbursement wait. Thrizer covers the rest of your fees, so you get paid in full upfront and waits for reimbursement on your client's behalf. They also have a Superbill uploads feature, which is completely free for therapists. If you'd like to instead offer your clients a resource to manage their own super bills, they manage all claims end-to-end so you or your clients don't need to deal with any of the insurance stress. Visit join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to start your free trial and receive waived fees for your first $2,500 in payments. And in particular to our field, I want to go back to what you were talking about earlier, as far as some of these mixed messages. What are some of the mixed messages that you see us sending to younger therapists that contribute to some of the stuff that you're talking about or people who might be ready to launch? Because our field seems to be fraught full of contradictory sort of messages that we send people. Yeah, absolutely. One thing stands out to me. When I quit my job at my agency, I did like an exit interview lunch and my program manager said, I'll see you back here in 60 days because nobody (laughs) makes it on their own. You can't be successful working for yourself. You'll be back here begging for your job back. I think that we hear that in graduate school too. I think we hear it a lot, not in all grad school programs. I want to say that. I think in most grad school programs, we're told that you don't get into this field to make money. You don't get into this field to be successful. You get in this field to be a helper. And although that's true, this is a complex field where we can do both simultaneously and we can make good livings as helping professionals and still help people. But I think that it's really drilled in in the agency environment because there is this fear that people are just going to continue to leave. We can't maintain employees here because people are going to continue to leave us. I also see that sometimes from more seasoned clinicians who maybe it comes from an envious place of like, I want all the referrals or I don't want to refer to these young clinicians who don't have as much experience as me. Why are they charging as much as me? I see that a lot in a lot of the uh, communities that I'm a part of. The young whippersnappers taking our our referrals. <laughs> right. Our jobs and our referrals. I'm trying to think of a nice way of saying that there's almost an entitlement of more seasoned people who've been in these positions of like, how dare you come in and do things better than me? Like that we really just have to continue to keep getting over ourselves. And, you know, maybe part of it, you know, does come from kind of that like scarcity mindset that uh, a lot of 
clinicians kind of just pass on some of this imposter syndrome sort of thing. Like I've got to have my quarter of the market. And therefore, if the best way of me doing that is making you too anxious about your quarter of the market, like it's especially here, the utilization of mental health services over the last year or so in the pandemic, like there's plenty of people who need our help. Like, and it should be something where to help not just, you know, make this a multi-generational trauma within our field that we can just kind of keep building each other up on this. Yeah, that's, that's really well said. And speaking of there's enough people that want our help. I mean, what's the running joke in our field or not joke, the frustration that nobody calls clients back, right? So like, if that's a situation that's arising and there's more clients than clinicians to go around, we can all support one another's success. And I do believe in the abundance mentality. And that would be the same. I'll say that imposter syndrome prohibited me from starting my private practice and coaching business because I live in the same city as Allison in abundance, right? So how can anyone ever hire me if Allison per year exists here? It's the mentality that we can all be successful because we all have different voices. We all have different approaches and styles. And I think that's really important for young clinicians to remember that there's room for everybody. And just because you don't offer a certain modality or don't have a certain training, as long as you're doing supervision and working ethically and understanding culture and continuing to work on anti-racism, I don't understand why we can't have more private practice clinicians who feel like they can also be successful, that we don't have to like work ourselves into burnout mode before we can suddenly jump ship and become like therapist wizards and leave the agency world behind. (laughs) Jumping ship and becoming therapist wizards. I love it. (laughs) So, okay. So I have so many thoughts going on in my head, but I'm going to, I'm going to take off. brain's going a mile a minute. (laughs) (laughs) At least a mile a minute, at least a mile a minute. (laughs) But you know, that's 60 miles per hour. So anyway, (laughs) okay. So let's talk about this becoming a therapist wizard. (laughs) Jumping, jumping. (laughs) Because I think that there's a lot of folks who listen to our podcast and we even had Marissa on and she was talking about uh, her listening as she was driving around in public mental health, listening to the podcast and deciding then and there that she was going to make the leap when she could. And we don't actually have an episode on how do you do this? Like, how do you leave community mental health? and move out into private practice. So now that they're ready, because they've listened, they've decided I am going to fight imposter syndrome and become a therapist wizard. (laughs) What do they need to consider? Or what are the logistics for moving from private practice to public or community mental health? (laughs) You're cracking me up. (laughs) I have a, I've done some videos on that. You know, how do I know when I'm ready to leave my agency job? When will I know that it's like the best decision, right? And there's never an absolute certainty that you're going to leave and that things are going to work out perfectly. If that was the case, everybody would do it. But I think that you know, when you start to question what else is there, you start to have this internal dialogue of 
why did I go to grad school for this? Because this is not enjoyable. This is not something that lights me up every morning to come here and work 50 hours a week and be on call and be in crisis all the time. Maybe I'll go back to working at Starbucks. Like that's got to be better than this. I think when you start to really question what else is out there, how else can you make a living? I think that if your value system aligns with autonomy and freedom and travel and movement and not being micromanaged, then you need to start considering it. And there's never going to be a certain amount of clients or a certain amount of money coming in for private practice to be a sure thing to leap out of that agency job. Um, I encourage therapists to do anything they can to get out of the agency world to start their practices, including go drive for Uber Eats as you continue to build your practice. Like you can still make money and it doesn't have to be at a community mental health agency if you're at the point of no return. So once your mental health, your physical health, your burnout starts kicking in, it's too late. You've waited too long. We all know the people who work in community mental health who putter around the halls who are like, lifers and have never left and are miserable. You don't want to be that person. It depends. Everyone's situations are so different, right? Like financial situations, partnerships, lack of partnerships, whatever the case may be. I just knew it was time when my physical health started failing. I ended up in the hospital from stress. Like I was done. I wasn't going to be a therapist anymore when I decided to leave. And I never thought I would be successful in private practice. That never crossed my mind. It never was even a thing that I thought about. I think when we're in the thick of it and in crisis all the time, we can't think about other opportunities or possibilities. So I would say this, if you are considering leaving and going into private practice, ask yourself why. If you value things about entrepreneurship, autonomy, making your own decisions, your own schedule, seeing the clients the way you want to see them, when you want to see them, it's probably for you. Now it's just about how to put the pieces in place and whether that means leaving to go to a group practice to get some feelers out there and feel a little bit more comfortable. Sure. I think that's a great middle ground. I don't know if there's ever a certain like box you check for a number of clients or amount of money you're bringing in though. And I think a lot of people want to know that like magic number and I can say that I started a practice at night and I found myself networking on my lunch hours and I found myself taking PTO to go to my private practice and feeling so energized in the evening after working 50 hours a week, sitting in my chair, in my office, paying my rent, getting my phone calls. Like it just felt so empowering. And I built myself up to 15 clients, felt confident, put a 90 day notice in because, you know, my agency needed me. They needed Mm -hmm. me around as a supervisor. As soon as I worked that notice out, 10 of those 15 clients left on vacation, went back to school, moved out of the state. And I questioned it. And I was like, what did I just do? Oh, that's tough. It was tough. (laughs) (laughs) So what did you do? Don't leave us hanging. (laughs) I networked a lot. I blogged a lot. I embraced free time because I kept thinking, this is why you did this. You wanted free time in your schedule and now you have it and you feel scared. And I remember going to lunch with a colleague here in town and making the comment of, well, if this doesn't work out, I can always go back to my agency job. And she was like, absolutely not. 
That's never an option. Do not think that way or you will fail. When I stopped thinking that way, I realized that I opened up space and energy and started to believe that I could become successful. And I believe that networking is one of the most important things you can do to build a successful private practice. Feeling like your ideal clients just can't find you online? There's a better way with Simplified SEO Consulting. They're a team of mental health marketing specialists who understand the unique challenges therapists face in the digital world. Forget wasting time on confusing SEO tactics that leave you feeling frustrated and out of the loop. Simplified SEO Consulting offers a range of proven solutions to fit your practice needs, from DIY courses that empower you to take control, to done-with-you coaching that provides expert guidance at every step, to their individualized done-for-you SEO plans that let you focus on your clients while they handle the details. Plus, they have an innovative content network program that has set practices across the country apart from the rest. When you're ready to start showing up in front of your ideal clients online, the expert team at Simplified SEO Consulting is ready for you. Visit simplifiedseoconsulting.com forward slash modern therapist to schedule your free consultation and find the perfect SEO plan to unlock the full potential of your practice. Don't forget to mention Modern Therapist Survival Guide podcast for $100 off your done-for-you SEO onboarding, or use code Modern Therapist for 20% off a DIY SEO course this summer. Sometimes in hearing some of these conversations, you know, there's there's a percentage of this that does really come from privilege. You know, not everybody's going to be able to take that monetary leap. Some people's situations, you know, whether it's their home life, their student loan bills, any of this kind of stuff that keeps them stuck into one of these jobs. And yet they're still dreaming. They're still believing that they've got these steps, hearing stories like, oh, I worked out my 90 days and then two thirds of my caseload just went away. What helps people in those situations that might not be quite there yet, but are also maybe teetering to the, I'm going to be stuck in this position forever? I'd say join a group practice, you know, go work for someone and make more money and work less hours. You know, you, you can still provide and take care of your needs and still leave a setting that you don't feel like there are any other options for, you know, you can work for some of these, I don't even want to say it out loud, these EAP contracts and these online organizations too. I don't, I don't love that mentality. I know y'all have done podcast episodes on it before. I just think they're a group practice. You can contract, you know, you can do contract work somewhere. There are options. You can start your practice at night and on the weekends. So it doesn't impact your day to day. You know, you can start to dip your toe, right? Like you don't have to just jump into it. You can simply step slowly into it and start to see how it feels. Work, you know, see some clients on Saturdays. A lot of people do that at first. See some clients in the evenings, you know. I think there are a lot of ways to do this and still maintain your day-to-day, your employment, the stuff that pays the bills, the student loan debt, the health insurance, everything, everything that comes with it. And the recognition that not everyone's situation is the same. I understand your mixed uh, reviews on some of these provider networks or or some of the online things. And I think there are some good ones and some that are unscrupulous. So I, I think that 
regardless whether it's a group practice or a provider network or EAPs or those kinds of things, you want to do the research because you could end up doing an EAP that pays you very little. You could end up in a worse situation with an unscrupulous online provider. And I think it's important to uh, be able to really plan your exit, recognizing that this is the first step. And, and I hear thinking about it now, and I think about my escape from community mental health, the exhaustion that is already in place and thinking about adding a full day of work or going somewhere after work in the evenings and how overwhelming that seems. And so I think another piece of this is making sure that you kind of parse it down to the little tiny steps so you can take just little tiny steps, have a clear goal, because even doing that, I feel like brings hope right? I mean, you get that hope of like, I have the plan. Maybe I'm having to work an extra hour or five hours or 10 hours a week, you know, as you build up, but I have a plan. (laughs) There is an exit. And I think that can be very good. And so I want to just say, yes, it is a lot of work, but what you're saying, Patrick, is very sound. Like you need to have your exit plan. and, And if you can't eject from a system or you aren't ejected, forcefully ejected from a system with it, <laughs> when it's not your choice, then you can set some of those milestones and those little goals where you can kind of do each of the little pieces so that you can start your practice. And especially now with telehealth being an option, there's a lot of things that you can do with very little overhead and with very little setup. And so connecting with someone like Patrick might be a great idea if you're thinking you want to stick your toe into it because you can set up in a day a whole practice. You don't have to like go look for offices or find forms. Like you can just use the tools that are there. So I would recommend kind of thinking through what are the steps you can take because having an exit plan is so different when you're looking at additional work. And so different if you're raising a family or you have other responsibilities other than yourself. So Mm -hmm. just having to really balance that. And even Katie, such a good point, you know, like doing one thing a week, even to check it off the list to just say, I'm working towards this, you know, like getting an an employee identification number, like deciding if you're going to take health insurance, like some of the decisions that you have to think about early on but are easy to just cross off the list and make you feel like you're moving towards something. Yeah. For helping people to think beyond and into that success mindset, how do you help encourage them to envision what their ideal practices are? I like to always start with what is absolutely necessary, right? Like we need to know differences in numbers. So numbers that I need to make to pay the bills, to keep the lights on, to pay for food, right? Like that number has to be known. But I always like to ask people what they want out of this. And that doesn't always have to be monetary. That could be, I only want to work three days a week. I want to see 25 clients a week between five days. I never want to work past 4 p.m. But it is about what do you value? What do you want out of this career? And I think that's really important because it's not the same for everybody. And I ask a lot about travel, about vacation time, building in sick time, building in time for mental health days, like how to start to do that. And people will always say like, oh, I, would, I would love to just have three weeks off a year. And I'm like, well, we can probably think a little bit bigger. 
because you're going to make more money so you can budget differently. And again, we have to take into account privilege. We have to take into account the fact that some people are going to work and see 50 clients a week. I'm not here to dictate that circumstance, but just to ask people, what do you want out of your business model? What do you want it to look like? Do you want more time for your family? Do you want less time for your family? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Do you want, you know, to have more hobbies? You know, do you want to read more coffee shop time? Do you want four day weekends, three day weekends? Like everyone's goals are so different, but they're all so possible too. You know, I privileged enough to take 12 weeks off a year and travel. I also have a partner that is able to support that. That's not going to look like that for everybody. So if I, the biggest thing I get a lot is like, I want a three-day weekend every week. I never want to work Fridays. So be it. Great. That's a great goal. I think that we need to get back to really practicing self-care and work-life balance, not the work-life balance that is discussed at our agency jobs, where we put a PTO request in and we get emails or text messages while we're on vacation. The piece that I heard there that I really like, and I have to keep reminding myself, especially folks who have been so ingrained in an agency setup, is that we can actually bake in what we want. We can, we can bake in a three-day weekend. We can bake in 12 weeks off. That's awesome. We can, we can put those things together and determine what our practice has to look like. I mean, there is some... There are some parameters that would we have to pay attention to if we we live and work in an area that can't support a four hundred dollar an hour session, then maybe we can't do that. <laughs> maybe we can't have you know I'm gonna work you know five hours a week, twelve weeks off, and make two hundred thousand dollars like maybe we can't do that, but like there's there are reasonable parameters and even exciting parameters that we can bake in, and I think being able to be creative is impossible when you're still in the mix of community mental health. And so having that conversation, I really like that. I like being able to say, okay, what is it that you actually want? And recognizing that you set all the rest of the parameters, what you charge, how many clients you see, you know, there's some stuff that is dictated by the market, but a lot of it you still really dictate and can can set that together. And so I think that's a great idea. What is your ideal private practice? What have you baked in? What, what can we all aspire to? Because like 12 weeks off, I'm like, that is amazing. Yeah. And that's because I'm fortunate enough, right? To not have to like be as concerned financially. But my goal is also not to make $200,000 a year in private practice. I could, but I don't want to. I want to yeah. travel more and take more time off. And that's always been my goal. But I think what you just said is really hits the nail on the head is like the more time and space you can give yourself, the more creative you can be. So my ideal practice right now is actually something I'm living, which is seeing eight ideal clients a week, running my group practice and running my private practice and coaching business. So I can do a little bit of everything because I do, I am neurodivergent. I need a lot of stimulation. I need a lot of different things happening all the time. So I can not always be focused on clinical work. I can move into administrative work and leadership work and coaching work and do all of those things simultaneously. But that didn't happen right away. That took four years, five years to get to this point. But yeah, that that is my ideal situation right now. Nice. 
Where can people find out more about you and all of the stuff that you're doing? They can find out about me at casalcoaching.com or at my Facebook group, All Things Private Practice. And we'll include links to those in our show notes. You can find those over at mtsgpodcast.com. And you can also check out the Therapy Reimagined conference where Patrick will be joining us this September. And you can find out more about that at therapyreimaginedconference.com for all of the latest updates, as well as following our social media. And we'll also include links to those in our show notes. And until next time, I'm Kurt Woodhelm with Katie Renoy and Patrick Cassell. Charge your full rate with confidence with Thryzer. Thryzer takes care of 100% of the insurance stress and helps your clients skip the long reimbursement wait, giving you a powerful tool to attract and retain out-of-network clients with ease. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Feeling stuck with SEO for your therapy practice? There's hope. Head to simplifiedseoconsulting.com forward slash modern therapist and unlock your website's SEO potential with Simplified SEO Consulting. Use code modern therapist for a discount and mention the Modern Therapist Survival Guide podcast for a special offer on done for you SEO this summer. Let's build your dream practice together. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes.